Welcome to the Advancing Women Podcast, where ambitious women come together to challenge the status quo, advance their careers, and up-level their lives. The Advancing Women Podcast is hosted by gender equity expert and executive coach, Dr. Kimberly D. Simone. Welcome, warriors, to the Advancing Women Podcast. This month, I've been really feeling the inspiration of the new year and the possibilities that a new year holds. So in continuing with that focus of transcending barriers and achieving goals, today I want to talk about success systems. I've shared this quote many times by James Clear. You do not rise to the level of your goals, but you fall to the level of your systems from his best-selling 2018 book, Atomic Habits. And for me, this quote really rings true. So often, we spend a lot of time creating goals and focusing on the goal when what we really need to do is to focus on the systems necessary to achieve the goal. It's not enough to be passionate or motivated. As James Clear also says, quote, the ultimate form of intrinsic motivation becomes part of your identity. It's one thing to say, I'm the type of person who wants this. It's something different to say, I'm the type of person who is this. And that really, again, makes a lot of sense if you think about it. It's the difference between saying, I want to run a half marathon and I am a runner. If you are a runner, then you run. You have a habit of running. That habit of running, the systems of training and making that system part of our identity, that's what runners do. And that is what results in achieving the goal then of running the half marathon or the marathon. We must have vision and a focus on bold goals, but in some ways, that's almost the easy part. If you think about it, people often have the same goals. The Super Bowl is next month, and I'm quite sure both teams will walk into the stadium with the same goal to win. All competitors, everyone in the arena, all daring greatly in the world of big goals, want to achieve, want to win, want to succeed. So it's not the goal necessarily that distinguishes the outcome or the achieving of the goal. It's really more about the habits, strategies, and systems that we implement that impact the goal. I know for me as a professor, I have found that when students aren't succeeding, it's rarely because they're not goal-driven. They're in a master's program. The goals are the same for most of them. They want to learn. They want to grow. They want to achieve that master's degree to help them get ahead in their careers and to up-level their lives. But it's often the systems, the strategies, the habits or lack of habits or poor habits that make the difference that either lead them to rise to the goal or fall short. Likewise, with executive coaching, clients that I work with are already highly driven, goal-oriented, successful individuals who have many achievements under their belt, but they haven't reached all of their goals. And we spend just a little time in a session talking about the goal and almost all of the time in the session creating clarity and a blueprint, a plan, putting the system in place to ensure they can rise to the level of their goal. And as we know from the research and data, there are many unique barriers that we as women encounter that are external, systemic, organizational biases and barriers, not our fault, but definitely our problem nonetheless. So we need to be especially mindful of creating intentional, 
actionable steps and engaging in a strategic process that disrupts the bias patterns that create the barriers to our growth and in achieving our bold, radical, audacious goals. So let's start with why processes, success models, and strategies are so important. If you look at the literature, stories of highly successful people, the billionaire entrepreneurs, one thing really stands out. And it's not just that they had big goals and big ideas. No matter what success story you find, every one of them shares a common thread. They achieve their success by consistently applying a system that works for them. Identifying and considering those external variables that can hinder us may seem like a waste of time upon initial consideration. This idea that if you can't control it or change it, why even think about it? But what you can control is the way you process and respond. Forewarned is forearmed. And so going into these situations with eyes wide open can help provide clarity. So we can be proactive versus reactive. So we're not blindsided. We really have three options, right? We can react to what's happening, we can respond with intention, or we can not react at all. It certainly serves women better to move away from just reacting, using that fast brain when we know there are biases and barriers that will result in us reacting and that that reacting will be seen critically as confirmation of their bias. They'll say we're emotional or defensive. But if we are mindful and intentional, we can interrupt that with proactive, intentional, and strategic narratives that better serve us. I'll give you an example. I was in a discussion with a peer at work, and we were disagreeing. So it was really more of a debate, and I'm presenting my side, and the man I'm talking to is saying, calm down, you're being defensive. So that whole calm down language, that confirmation bias that confirms that women are emotional, that we are reactionary. And of course, this is gender bias. Men rarely hear, you need to calm down. And to be clear, I was by no means unhinged or uncalm. I was calm and I was presenting my points logically. But the problem was he was losing the argument. And so he decided to play the, you're an emotional woman card. His narrative was calm down. And I felt all the things, right? It all comes flooding back in. The stereotypes we are conditioned to believe throughout our lives as women. Am I being too aggressive? Am I being too emotional? And I just took a step back and I said, you know what? No, I'm going to reset my mindset. I'm going to interrupt this because this narrative not only is inaccurate, but it does not serve me. I'm going to interrupt this bias pattern. And I just said, why are you telling me to calm down? Because I feel very calm. Do you feel like you're losing control? Because I knew I wasn't losing control. So I was trying to understand that when he says calm down, it's confusing to me when I'm calm. And I said somewhat quietly and calmly, I'm not sure what you mean. I'm calm. If you feel like you're losing control of the situation or you want to put a pin in it and talk about it when you feel less frustrated, we can do that. Because again, I was not prepared to own and absorb the fault or the flaw because of a biased narrative that he was proposing. And he immediately, uncalmly responded, you're being defensive. Again, his narrative, which I had to interrupt. And I said, again, calmly, no, I am being defending. Defensive is dismissive of your viewpoint, and I'm not dismissing your viewpoint. I am just presenting a counter viewpoint. 
I wanted to be a part of creating that narrative so that it would be a more realistic narrative that serves me. But even if I was being frustrated or angry or defensive, it is not up to one person in the conversation to set the terms of the conversation. And this is really what he was doing. I read a Bustle article about the tone policing of women, which discussed how being tone policed is so ingrained in our patriarchal society that plenty of men who, by the way, are allowed to have emotional responses, we just call that passion, they don't even know why this tone policing is so infuriating to us. And tone policing is the action or practice of criticizing the emotional manner in which a person has expressed a point of view, rather than addressing the substance of the point itself. And just because your tone policer doesn't think whatever you're discussing warrants an elevated response, that does not necessarily mean that you have to adapt to their prescriptive bias of how you should argue and how your arguments should be presented. And I use this example because Too often with advancement strategies, especially for women, there's this approach that is all about, quote unquote, helping fix the shortfalls of women rather than addressing the societal, cultural, and organizational stereotypes and issues that so often create the real barriers. So interrupting those patterns can be much more beneficial to women rather than implementing a system where we spend endless hours attending workshops, getting mentors, learning how to effectively communicate, which is often code for learning how to present with confidence and competence without hurting men's feelings or making them feel bad or defensive in any way. And I'm not knocking those things. Having mentors, having good communication skills, those things are important. But you can't mentor, coach, and workshop away biases and barriers that are in the external environment, right? We have to be mindful of that. So for women I mentor or coach, I often utilize my four P's advancement model because it is a system designed to serve women's advancement versus the existing systems, which tend to not be designed by or for us. The status quo systems, the often touted best practice systems that don't work particularly well for women. And so the four P's advancement model stands for problems, patterns, processes, proficiencies. And the first P is really about proactivity, not reacting to what seems to be the problem, but really identifying the nuances of the problem, the embedded biases influencing the problem and the way the problem is being presented so that we can distinguish what the real problem is and how the problem is situated within the larger social, organizational, and cultural constructs. If we are taking action to solve the problem, but we haven't identified the real problem, then we can waste our time on endeavors that don't fix the real problem because fixing the women, which is so often the solution presented, isn't at all the real problem. One of the biggest problems with modern day equity and diversity initiatives are that they don't address the root cause of many of the problems, but rather the symptoms. They are grounded in this fix the women, fix the problem mindset. And so if we are to transcend, we have to adjust our mindset. We have to be very aware of this to deconstruct and fully understand the real problems. The quote-unquote solutions to help advance women don't address the actual problem. The reason and the premise of the problem is often wrong. So therefore, the process is wrong. 
So the existing process tends to look at these inequities, things like the pay gap, and see the problem not from the structures and organizational level, but from the woman's developmental needs. We put fixing the inequity on the shoulders of women. And you hear things like women can't negotiate, women don't have enough confidence, women have imposter syndrome, women are difficult to work for and with, women are queen bees and they get in each other's ways and don't support each other, women are too emotional. And these are all discriminatory, biased reasons and rationales that have historically been used to explain away the real structural, organizational, and societal problems, which are the gendered biases and barriers. These are individualized blame for structural and organizational problems of bias. And so understanding the real problem is a critical component. This is why identifying and strategizing around the real problem is crucial. And as we consider the real problems, we must consider the real patterns, the second P, within the organization that hinder or sabotage us. So if I think... As in the example I gave earlier, when I had that disagreement with a male colleague, that the problem is that I'm too emotional, I may respond with an apology and then allow the other person's narrative to become fact. But if I can see the patterns of bias in the situation, I can respond in a way that better serves me and my professional capital. And this is the process part of the model. When we see the barriers, it is imperative that we use a process to deconstruct the moving parts, to really accurately see whether this is a mindset, skill set, or tool set problem. Because the focus of this episode is about having clarity to ensure that we are solving real problems, that we understand how our mindset, our skill set, and our tool set fit into that equation. Is this problem best solved by changing my mindset? Or is it about my skill set or my tool set? It's always about what you think, what you know, and what you do. Mindset, skill set, tool set. Is this barrier about mindset where I have to think a little bit differently or other people are thinking in a way that doesn't serve me? And this can sometimes feel like a skill set deficit when it's really a PR or mindset problem. I coached one woman who worked in a financial services industry, and she was a superstar. But as a woman in this very male-dominated field of investments, she was constantly encountering bias disguised as professional development. Her strengths were acknowledged, at least some of them were, but they were not the strengths that were seen as most valuable in the organization. She was often complimented for her creativity and helpfulness, but rarely for being seen as tough and savvy, which of course were the qualities the organization valued most when it was making promotion decisions. The thing is though, that when she would act tough or savvy, it wasn't well received because it was in conflict with societal expectations about women being agreeable, helpful, nice. So as she's chasing the solution to the problems that were always about her deficit, there was never an answer. Fix one problem, cause another. She began to realize through coaching that it was their mindset that needed to shift, that this wasn't a skill set deficit, but rather that she needed to deconstruct their feelings about her strengths. So rather than being tougher, which wasn't going to be well-received, she started strategically using the strengths that were identified in her, being creative, being helpful to serve her goals better, right? She kind of flipped this script. Because she was this creative person and helpful, she was often asked by her superiors to help others in her group create better presentations and more creative solutions for their clients. 
Being helpful was expected, but now with knowledge in hand, she proactively shifted narratives in ways that served her. So when asked to help a person with a presentation by her boss, she would say, of course, I'm happy to help, but does he have broad shoulders to receive my feedback? Because you know, I'm tough. And after a very short time, she began to hear people say, you should run that by her, but make sure you have all your ducks in a row because she's tough. So this is just one example of how shifting her mindset based on understanding what the real problem was allowed her to strategically shift her behaviors in ways that would serve her. It really speaks to being mindful of the narratives around the problems and especially the narratives that we create. Are we creating a narrative that serves us or a narrative that sabotages us to a degree? We have to detangle what we actually know from what we feel. And that's in no way discounting people's feelings. It's about ensuring that we aren't allowing self-limiting beliefs or negative self-talk or the external viewpoint that's drenched in bias to hinder us. When we take on the flaw or blame in these situations as a default, we end up doing things like over-apologizing or deflecting compliments or being self-deprecating in order to make others feel comfortable or to ensure people don't see or confirm all of the negative stereotypes they have. Consider times you're apologizing as women when you've really done something wrong versus, say, when someone else has made the mistake and you're apologizing. Someone bumps into us and we're saying, sorry, and I know you've been there. We've all been there. I've done it myself. You know, Somebody doesn't get something right that I've asked them to do. I find myself apologizing and saying that maybe I should have been clearer when it was clear and they are the one who got it wrong. And I did this recently with somebody in a different time zone. I scheduled a call and said 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. They missed the call. And when we finally touched base, they were like, oh, I thought it was an hour from then. And I found myself wanting to apologize. And then I thought, no, that's undermining. This is actually going to be a hindrance for me in a way that it may not be for a male counterpart. And research shows this to be true, that our mistakes are more highly punctuated, noticed, and remembered. But part of why we do this is that we have been conditioned as women to make others feel more comfortable. And this is part of the mindset shift. You know, that if we aren't nice, if we don't make others feel better or more comfortable, that we won't be liked, that we have to deconstruct and address because it can have negative consequences when women are made to feel like they have to apologize all the time. We do it to our disadvantage. And that's a pattern of bias that we have to interrupt. We have to say, you know what? I'm just not going to do that anymore. I understand that society expects me as a woman to be more polite, that I'm supposed to be more nurturing and apologetic and all of those things. And I'm just not going to do that because it undermines me. Because claiming the mistake as mine may make the other person feel better in the short term, but it doesn't serve our advancement in the long run. And of course, this isn't to say that when we get something wrong or make a mistake, we shouldn't apologize or take responsibility. Of course, we should be accountable for our errors. I'm talking about apologizing when you actually haven't done anything wrong because you feel that it's some kind of social lubricant in terms of making things more comfortable for others, taking the weight of the discomfort off of their shoulders, only to place them squarely on your shoulders. And from an advancement perspective, this can be really disadvantageous for us. And the same is true of accepting compliments. The research shows that women's accomplishments are often attributed to luck, while men's accomplishments are attributed to talent. 
This combined with social cultural expectation can hinder our advancement. And we have to be mindful of these biases, go in with eyes wide open so that we are thoughtful in our response and reaction when we are complimented. So when people give us a compliment, It is very common for women, again, because we have been conditioned to be communal, nice, agreeable, team players, and we shouldn't be conceited. We don't want to seem like we're full of ourselves. And these are all the kinds of words that men don't hear as often, words that they are not as conditioned to hear and respond to. And so you deflect the compliments, right? Someone might say, great presentation today. And you might say, oh, you know, I think we all did really well. And I couldn't have done it without the help of everyone in the group. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. It's good to acknowledge other people. But when we know the patterns of bias in terms of women's accomplishments being minimized or explained away or having less benefit, we have to shift our mindset and disrupt the pattern with our behaviors So rather than downplaying or deflecting the compliment, it serves us to disrupt that and say something more like, thank you. I worked really hard, so I appreciate your feedback and recognition. We have to understand that we've been conditioned to a degree to deflect, but we're rejecting that. And we can accept a compliment without that meaning that we're being conceited or not appreciative of others. We don't have to accept that narrative because it doesn't serve us and it's not accurate. So that's mindset, right? But the process is also about skill set and tool set. If we're going to take the time for professional developments, perhaps learning or refining a job-related skill that is highly valued is a better use of our time rather than consistently being told that we need to join informal networks and find mentors and do women's development, fix the women, fix the problem type of initiatives. What if we take that time to learn a skill someone else doesn't have that is important and valued in order to distinguish ourselves so that that will help serve our advancement goals? And then with tool set, are there certain tools that we need to implement that we don't have in place that are going to help us address the problems at hand? These are the kinds of things that help us transcend and interrupt barriers. And sometimes that's just language. I talked about earlier. Changing the narrative in ways that serve you can be part of enhancing your tool set. If you proactively and strategically consider the bad behaviors that will happen in the workplace that are detrimental to your professional capital and ultimately your advancement, it serves you to come prepared. If I know I'm going to be tone policed or I'm going to be interrupted, it serves me to be prepared with the language I need to bring the focus back to my ideas and what I am trying to accomplish. I need to be able to influence the situation in ways that serve me. Often, the process in the four P's advancement model is detangling all of the pieces between what you think, mindset, what you know, skill set, and what you do, tool set, how you use your skills, how you use what you know, and trying to understand which areas need focus. And it's important to understand which areas need focus so that you can become more proficient. Proficiency in terms of how we manifest those super skills that come from having to be so mindful and strategic, having to transcend the inequities that create the barriers. Things like emotional intelligence, which research shows women are notably strong in. And that really shouldn't be surprising. 
It's unfortunate and unfair that we have to deal with these constant barriers and biases, but the upside can be that we're constantly having to hone those skills. So we can shift our mindset to see how our proactive and strategic approach has actually created super skills, stronger reasoning, stronger communication abilities, and even grit from getting knocked down, picking ourselves back up, anti-fragility, getting stronger and stronger as we overcome these obstacles, right? We can realize how much more badass we are. Sometimes I just think every woman out there, every warrior listening, every success, do you even realize how many barriers that you had to overcome to be where you are, to transcend? Utilizing a model, implementing a system of behaviors for yourself that allows you to take the skills which have been honed because of unfair expectations and addressing all of these inequities can help to create your super skills our superpowers as warrior women. And so I'll wrap up with a manifest statement. I'm going to start with a quote from Dr. Grace Hopper, the American computer scientist and United States Navy Admiral, who was a pioneer of computer programming. She said, quote, the most dangerous phrase in the English language is we have always done it this way, end quote. And this is so applicable if we consider a history of best practice advice of fix the women, fix the problem, and how we, warrior women, must interrupt the way it's always been done, change the narrative, and challenge the recommendations that historically have not served us. If you go on thinking you can solve the problem with the current set of solutions that are offered, oftentimes you end up scratching your head wondering why it didn't work, absorbing the blame or the weight of not being able to achieve, despite doing all of the things taking all of the best practice recommendations, and yet it doesn't pan out. And this then has long-term devastating effects on our self-esteem, our self-efficacy, our confidence. And we have to make sure that that does not happen in our efforts to transcend and thrive. And for all the status quo defenders who want to tell you that if you call out the real problem, all you're doing is having a victim mentality, and what good is it? I will tell you that when you don't acknowledge the real problem, you are playing their game and it will never serve you. And so I started with James Clear's quote, and I'll reiterate it here at the end. You do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. And my hope is that you will implement systems designed for you that serve you, that help you warriors to transcend and thrive. For more resources, you can visit my website, www.advancingwomenpodcast.com and connect on Instagram at Advancing Women Podcast. I love getting your feedback. So please email me at drdsimone at advancingwomenpodcast.com. I just want to thank Joe Jacobs, the audio warrior who wrote the music for this podcast. And a huge thanks to Heather Harris, the creative warrior who designed the Advancing Woman podcast logo. And thanks to all of you for joining me here today.